Okay, so this is a follow-up on uh, getting close to Hashem part one, and we're going to have to sort of deepen um, some of the descriptions of the mechanics that we described in part one. And so we still have this medrash kind of in the background um, in Parshas Akev, which is talking about how if you want to experience this thing called dvekut, which is like usually translated as attachment or glued togetherness with Hashem, so how do you do that? So you have to basically look at the way that Hashem is, and just like Hashem is in certain ways, the way he operates, so you have to sort of be like that. So if Hashem is Rachum, you have to be Rachum. If Hashem is Chanun, you have to be Chanun. All these different examples that are brought there. And so we have that in the background still in terms of what it is that we uh, sort of need to be directing ourselves towards. And so I, 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 really, I want to sort of move towards solving that medrash and explaining why exactly is it that being the way that Hashem is, is sort of like the key to attaching yourself to Hashem. So let's just sort of dive deeper into our, our description of, of how we actually get closer to each other. So what we described in part one was really about, um, we gave a few examples, you know, hugging somebody or also physical intimacy um, and getting to know somebody. And these were all kind of like different uh, attempts to sort of distinguish between the experience of being distant from someone, if you're sort of, they experience a person who you don't really know, uh, they're foreign from you, they're sort of other from you, and then when you actually break through the, the distance and you can create a sense of, of familiarity and of closeness with them. And so we gave a few different examples, and we described that as all part of what's called the concept of da'at, da'as, which means sort of like experiencing somebody else, having experiential knowledge, where you, the self that you are, actually experiences another self as sort of like a part of your own self. And even if that, you know, if God forbid somebody dies, you have that kind of chibur, that kind of connection with them. So then you sort of lose a part of yourself. You almost feel like there's like, you know, the, the part of you that was them sort of like attached to you was now withdrawn and you feel an emptiness and a hole inside of your own self when the other person is now no longer accessible uh, since their body has now died and there's no way to actually there's not at least the same ways that we usually use to get to, to get to create that familiarity is now removed. So I want to sort of sharpen those mechanics a little bit further and, and sort of show how they really point us towards the medrash. And then we can sort of use the techniques and the processes that we're describing here to, to do this much more on purpose. So let's just, um, let's also, so let, let's start with sort of um, understanding what happens when you are physically intimate with another person. See, there's this interesting phenomenon in the world where sometimes, especially now, this is like a very big thing since we figured out that uh, uh, we're sort of, you know, running this giant social experiment for 50, 70 years with birth control. So now there's a lot of, uh, and also abortions. So now there's like a, really a lot of physical intimacy is sort of done in a way where there's really not too much thought about the consequences and the natural outcomes of physical, physical intimacy, which largely speaking is really about creating children. So... Since we were able to remove those consequences in a certain kind of way using these techniques, so now what it leads to is that there's very often situations where people are actually physically intimate, sexually intimate, uh, in situations in which they barely have any other knowledge of each other. They don't know each other at all. So you have like engaging in that type of process, physical intimacy, and it's like a person that you never met before and you're just sort of cutting straight to that type of interaction. So what happens in that situation. Let's sort of map that out for a second. So we already sort of we already sort of described how, you know, you can create a certain familiarity and when when you're when you are physically intimate with somebody and there's a sense of like, oh, we sort of broke through that 
barrier of distance. Now you're someone who's kind of like, we're, we're more familiar with each other. And so we, we, we sort of showed how that's, you know, you have physical familiarity with somebody and then it sort of translates into like perceptual, experiential familiarity with them. And we call that das. And so that, you know, the physical action, even though there's no, even though the physical action is purely mechanical, um, but since there's two selves experiencing that physical action, so then it leads to the, to the selves actually developing a sense of, or can lead, and, and it usually does lead, to a sense of familiarity developing on the inside that is separate from the actual body uh, mechanical togetherness that's going on. So, and that's why even after the bodies separate and there's no longer a mechanical, physical um, proximity between the two bodies, there still is a sense of familiarity towards that other person in terms of your own experiential subjective perception. It's like you still see them as sort of someone who you know, who like is part of your your sphere, or your your circle of, of, of people. So that's how we described the process that takes place there. Now, when you sort of dig a little bit more deeply into this, especially when you use the example where it's someone who you really don't know at all, and you then are physically intimate with them, you know, it's like a person who goes on a date with someone purely just to engage in a physical, physically intimate encounter. So there's something interesting that happens because very often, let's, let's imagine a scenario like that where, you know, then the next phase is they actually continue to go out. They continue to date each other, two people that are doing this. And so what's funny is that, you know, you, you do this a few times, you go out on a few dates and you're physically intimate each time. And so let's say by the third or fourth or fifth date, so there's like a situation in which you feel pretty comfortable and pretty familiar with each other. And at the same time, you know, you start talking to each other more. And now there's other types of interaction besides the physical interaction. And you know what you might discover? Well, suddenly you might see, you might see hey, like, this person who I feel familiar with and who I feel like I kind of know in a certain kind of way and they're sort of inside my space, there are things about them that now are, are bothering me or things, that, things I don't like or things that are very different and make them feel foreign again. You can actually experience that, like, that, this contrast where like, the person seems familiar, third date, fourth date, fifth date, and then you have a conversation where now suddenly it recreates the sense of foreignness because of the conversation, where now there's like a sense of distance and of otherness and like there's like a, there, these, this person is, is um, you know, unreachable. I can't really uh, experience them as familiar again, uh, or at least there's, a, there's a, 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 an insertion of a foreignness sort of into the relationship where now there's like sort of a familiarity, but also this foreign dynamic where they're also sort of now not familiar to me. And so like, what, what, what does that mean? Like what happens there? Like what's an example where that, which could illustrate for us like those types of dynamics. So just imagine for a second, you're talking to somebody and you know, you have a fundamental disagreement with them about something about the world. So let's say you um, are, I don't know, we'll pick a random uh, political example. Let's say you're a capitalist and you believe in the free market and that there should be a, you know, a, a trade of value for value for people's um, productivity. And the person that you were, have going through this experience with so she tells you now that she believes in socialism and she thinks that it's unfair that some people have more than others and so we should really be um, distributing all of the productivity of a society to everyone equally and so that's that that's what she says to you and, that's, and you're talking to her about you know your own views and she's very very entrenched in her views and you're very entrenched in your views so, and let's say it even starts to become a little bit emotionally charged, like you're a little bit bothered, like that she thinks that and she's bothered that you think that, and you get into sort of like a disagreement about that. And suddenly you find that you're a little bit like you're pulling yourself back from this person. In a certain sense, she no longer is this familiar, like, oh, she's kind of part of my scene, part of my life, part of my sense of self, part of my circle of people that I look as 
like look at as like my my people, my network, my personal network. And you know that can that, that can happen in many different ways. That's a that you know that particular example with the capitalism versus socialism ideas. So there, it's it, for many people that can actually be a little more external. Although people definitely do get riled up by that. Uh, even if you don't have an emotional component and you only have a thought-based component where you have a disagreement like that, you could still experience this kind of distance. In other words, I don't want you to think that the reason why the foreignness happens here is specifically because there's an emotional charge. The emotional charge often does happen, and that can make it happen more. And then it can make the distancing happen in a in a more intense kind of way, in an emotional sense. But even if you just disagree on the conceptual level about capitalism versus socialism, and you have a thought-based disagreement, you can still experience this person as now foreign to you and distant from you in this way because you're just like this person is so not the way that I see the world and so let's just analyze that carefully for one second and see what's happening there so when we describe the familiarity that takes place when you are physically intimate with somebody so you can have that familiarity take place like we already described in the previous video um, really through many different ways. So you don't have to actually be physically intimate with someone to be familiar with them. You can just talk to them or spend some time with them or you can um, you know, go somewhere with them and have a shared experience. You go to the zoo or to a movie or something. Like There are ways to create a sense of familiarity. But what's interesting is that the sense of familiarity usually is kind of like a... It's an on-off switch. In other words, we often tend to have this reaction where we just feel that this person is now familiar to us in a sort of part of our framework of togetherness, like okay, this person is just part of my situation now, as opposed to sort of like having a, a, a an awareness that well, maybe there's more to this person than just this situation that I'm in, which is now driving the familiarity. So to use that in the sexual example, so two people who are physically intimate, so it's like oh well now I feel familiar with this person, so now they're part of my circle, and then you find out later that they're actually crazy in some way or extremely unbalanced or they have very distorted perspectives or they're even a little bit dangerous and it's like well I created familiarity and a sense of like they're now in my personal space they're part of my view of who's my people who's an extension of myself in a certain kind of way and you sort of created that without really knowing anything else about who they are and so now you just have this automatic familiarity because you use the physical proximity to lead to the familiarity but even if you use the, you could also use thought-based proximity. Let's say you're talking to somebody and you know, you're sharing ideas and you find, wow, we really click. Like we have the same ideas about like these five topics. And you're like, wow, we're really on the same page. So you might feel familiar. That's actually how a lot of friendships are formed, which is, you know, instead of using the sexual example now, you just regular friendship dynamics. So you meet a person and you share ideas and you, you know, whether it's you have similar sense of humor, you both laugh at the same kinds of jokes. So certain types of thoughts that you um, have in common in terms of how you think about life. Uh, in terms of also, not just in terms of humor, in terms of, um, let's say, uh, ways of life or concepts or analysis or social, you know, interactions, culture, whatever, whatever um, thought proximity you're able to sort of experience. So when you sort of are sharing your thoughts, you see, oh, like, hey, look, we have this similar way of thinking about this topic. So now we feel kind of more familiar with each other because of that. Now, again, those two separate things, right? Just because you think the same thoughts as somebody else. Uh, doesn't mean you have to necessarily experience them as familiar now. Similarly with the sexual example, you have physical proximity and it leads to a separate experience of, of, of familiarity and internal connection proximity, like a, like a connection dynamic. It's also true with thoughts. You can think the same thoughts as another person and talk about the, those thoughts with the other person and experience this, you know, this um, sense of, oh, we think in similar ways, and that's a thought proximity. And then as a result of that, you can develop a perception proximity, a sense of we're like familiar with each other now through that. 
And you can also choose not to do that. You can actually maintain distance and reduce and remove familiarity with another person, even as you're sharing, um, you know, uh, similar thoughts or, or, or discovering that your thoughts operate in the same way. So that sort of shows like that, that that's sort of like a parallelism between the sexual example and this friendship example. And so the purpose of the friendship example is also to sort of illustrate that there are other ways that are essentially in a certain way mechanical um, that you can actually develop this internal familiarity uh, essentially the same way as the physical example. So it's also true emotionally. Let's say you're in a, in a, in a, at a concert and there's a beautiful song playing and you just feel so moved because of the song and it's so powerful for you and you look over across to the next you know next seat over and you see another person who's also crying from the song and so moved and then you know he or she looks at you and you look at, at them and you know your eyes kind of meet for a second you're like you you have this moment where you both sense that you're on you're in the same place and like you're experiencing the same kind of thing and then afterwards, you know, so then the song ends and the, con the concert ends and you see, you know, as, as the concert is wrapping up and they're cleaning up and the lights go on and whatever, and you see the person and you, and you, you go up to them and you, you each talk about what it is that you were feeling on the emotional level. And so what's happening there is you are each experiencing on the, on the, on the, on the we'll call it almost like the emotional mechanical side, experiencing your own feelings, your own physiological sensations as a result of what it was that you were thinking and hearing and feeling in the concert. And then you saw somebody who has the same ones and you're like, oh, that person were having the same thing. And then you actually feel through that shared um, mechanical external uh, ex uh, parallel experience or parallel reality that you each are feeling those things, you now feel a familiarity with them. And then you start talking to them. Now, it's, it's just to take it further, all three of these examples, whether you're talking about the physical intimate example, and even with the physical intimate example, you could even say, it doesn't have to even mean sexual intimacy, as we mentioned in the previous video. Even if you're just hugging somebody, that already creates a sense of physical familiarity, which then leads to, which can, if you decide to let it, lead to experiential familiarity. And then we also have, so we have physical proximity, we have thought proximity, we also have emotional proximity. And in each of these examples, you can choose to allow it to lead to actual internal familiarity. And so very often people don't even realize you have a choice in allowing that to happen, but we sort of, you really can decide to let it not happen. And so in each of these cases, so, you know, if, if you speak to the person more and start to discover that not only were you physically like near each other close and therefore experiencing familiarity, you also are thoughts wise, you are similar and you think the same kinds of thoughts and you find that emotionally you are similar and have similar emotional patterns, then you'll start to discover, oh, there's actually a lot of room for familiarity here to continue to progress and to continue to manifest because look, we're not just pro proximate, we're not just close to each other, you know, or, or in terms of the physical way, also in terms of the thought-based way, in the emotional way. And it can go other ways too. You know, if you're dating somebody and you get to know them first in terms of their thoughts, and then you discover that emotionally you're very similar one, one day when you're on, you know, the fifth date and you discover, you know, you're at a situation where you see something which is very emotionally um, impacting and you and, and the other person experience it in the same way and talk about those feelings, you'll feel even closer and so that's because the mechanics of, the, of each of you is parallel and is operating in the same way. And then you allow yourself to feel familiar with this, per with this person because you're like, this person is like me and therefore he or she is going to be now be part of my, my, my sense of self. So these examples, I think, really illustrate what it actually means to be close to someone else. In other words, when you, if you want to feel like, if you want to understand what closeness actually is, so first of all, closeness is an internal experience. It's part of, it's what we call the world of the dot, the world of the das. Das again, experiential knowledge. It's this sense that of of you and then other people who are who are, who you are experiencing as a part of you. They're almost like 
you know, an extension of your own self and where you and them become entangled and intertwined in a certain way. And you can allow that to happen. And so, and, and very often we allow it to happen without even paying so much attention to it. So, but the point here is that what drives that kind of connection, that kind of chibur, is the ways that you experience the other person through your similarities. In other words, if there's things about you and them that are the same, so then those things operate almost as gateways. Like, it's almost like an airlock. So think of an airlock. It's like airlocks on spaceships, there's, there's usually two opposite doors. And there's like, you know, there's, there's a spaceship capsule on one side, and there's like outer space on the other side. And there's like this area in the middle, which is like this no man's land, where you, an astronaut will sort of go out from the spaceship into this middle area, and then they'll close the door from the spaceship into the middle area, and then he's sealed in this antechamber. And they open the other side, this other door, and now he can go out into outer space on that side. And that way, there's no direct channel between the spaceship and outer space, because if there would be, then outer space would suck all of the air out of the spaceship. So you have this antechamber, this, in, this interim area, this almost like this no man's land in between the spaceship and the outside. And so that's exactly what happens between people. And you could think of the airlock as a space between us. So if we have doors that are able to line up and be on the same wavelength, then we can actually go across from one ship to the other ship. So you think of it about it as like, well, let's say I have certain ideas about, I don't know, how love works, let's say. And you also have certain ideas about how love works. And those ideas are the same. So now when we're talking out those thoughts and those ideas, we will find, oh, look, these things are the same for both of us. So now I can feel like I can actually open myself up a little more in terms through this doorway of how I think about love. And then I can let myself out and let the other person in. And we can sort of meet and then create this kind of fusion between the two of us where now we actually start to have some of each other in each other's sense of self. Oh, you're a person who has my thoughts in your own head. And I'm a person who has your thoughts in my own head. We have the same kinds of thoughts. And then we can even learn from each other's thoughts and be like, uh, like I'm going to take some of your ideas and give you some of my ideas. And then we each become even more um, advance in our own thinking and our thoughts are the same so we kind of like start you know we start off like I have my own thoughts in my own head you have your own thoughts in your own head and then we open the doorways we find that these door these thoughts are the same size the same style and the doorways now are parallel to each other we're on the same wavelength and then we can actually reach out through the doors that the, that the similarities have opened to actually connect and experience ourselves as a as part of sort of like one larger self it creates this sense of chibur and you actually experience the other person as a part of you so that's what you're doing uh, with any of these examples. Whether you're using um, a, a thought-based airlock, a thought-based channel, you're using an emotional channel, which is exactly the same type of thing, where you look at the other person, you see they're feeling what you're feeling, and you say, oh, you know what? I can actually open myself up to this other person now and share what I'm feeling with him or her because, look, like he or she has exactly the same types of feelings, and now we can open that up, and we can feel like we're the same. So that's essentially how you create closeness. It's this bridging using similar similarities between us to actually reach out and then fuse through those similarities. Now I want to stress that the similarities are not the things that are that are the they're not the closeness itself. They are just the 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 doorway that we use to create the perception of closeness, which really leads sort of like, you know, to to a definition here. Well, what exactly is closeness? So when we say that we talk about this concept of dvekut and trying to get close to Hashem, getting close to other people, what exactly is that? So I just want to define it here for ourselves right now. When we understand that dot, that your experiential sense of self, that's really all about your own perceptions. And these are not things that you can actually see. You can't see the closeness. But 
there's a perception of this person is now a part of who I am, and I am a part of who he or she is. And so that perception is almost like it's an overlay that you're seeing on top of the physical reality. So you see an actual person who you, um, at first you perceive them just as over there. You then discover that you are um, similar either in terms of your own thoughts or in terms of your own emotions. And also through physical experience, you determine that you are similar. And then you use those similarities as doorways to create a perception of familiarity, of connection, of we are part of one person. And that's something which is, you know, it's, it's wordless. You can't really describe what it is that you're doing when you do that, but you're, you, you do that all the time. Your very sense of self is literally mingling with another person's self through the gateways of the similarities between you and them. So when you think about that carefully, well, that, you know, and, let, let, and, and we use that to sort of to use some of our contrast examples, like, well, let's say you're talking to somebody who you already created a lot of familiarity with. You discover that you think a lot of the same things. You also discovered that you have similar emotional makeups. Let's say, again, we'll use the dating example. That's someone that you're interested in, who you really like, and you're, you, know, you really think that it's going well, and, and you're, you're getting to, to know them in terms of how they think and how they operate emotionally, and you're also attracted to them physically. And there's all these, you know, and physical attraction also is there's a sense of like, this person is sort of like my person, which is like it, 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 the physical attraction creates an experiential perception of familiarity. And there's more to talk about with the physical side, just because the sexual elements are a little bit different in certain ways. Um, but that's going to have to be a separate series about sexuality. But the point here is that you already have that kind of developed situation where you have these doorways that are open between you and the other person. You have all these thought gateways that essentially are allowing you and them to flow together through those thought gateways. And you have feelings, emotional gateways, where you have seen that you are emotionally similar. You get angry in similar ways, or you get happy, or you get emotionally sad in, because of things that are similar. So you find these things are all commonalities in each of your characters that allow you to then bond with the other self and to fuse yourself with the, with the other self. And so let's say you're in a situation where you have that and then suddenly you discover something about that person that is that is not a commonality or something which is very different, which you, which you can't relate to. What does it mean that you can't relate to it? It means that now it's you have a difference between you where you're not, you, at, at least on the, on, the, on the surface, it's not similar. So now there's no way for me to reach out through that space to get to you because there's a barrier there because your doorway is not the same as my doorway. So now we can't actually intermingle and fuse in that area. That's going to be a sense of difference. That sense of difference can really make us feel like, hey, there's a barrier now in our relationship, in our closeness, our sense of, of togetherness, our perception that we are intermingling in this way that you can't even see is suddenly changed and reduced. And so that's essentially what we're talking about here when we define closeness for a person. Now, there's a certain level of depth underneath that too, which we have to understand, well, okay, well, what exactly is the self? And why and our selves are mingling through these channels, through these doorways, and like, what does it mean that a self can mingle with another self in our in our perceptions. Like what is what is that? And so that's really it's going to take us further into the discussion of who is Hashem, because yourself is, is what's called a neshama, and there is a nature of a neshama. The neshama is something which we call consciousness, uh, often translated as the soul. So there's a lot of there's a lot of layers and parts to understanding what a neshama how a neshama operates and what it's doing. So you, as a neshama, it's not that you have a neshama, you are a neshama, and you have to use yourself, you have to figure out how, you, how yourself actually works. So, but for our purposes right now, just understand that the ability of a neshama to get close to another neshama, to experience intermingling of these, almost like these tendrils of self that reach out through these doorways is predicated on finding similarities 
both on the thought level, on the emotional level, on the physical level between you and another uh, self that is coming through a body also. So just to give a couple of, of, of last you know points about that, when you're dealing with another person, so the the way to deal with the way to create familiarity, that's really what we you know we call on purpose closeness creation. See what happens is very often you create closeness by accident. It's where you have situations where there's proximity. It is incidental proximity. You could have proximity like we mentioned already, just you know in terms of just being physically near somebody. You could have proximity uh, just because you're having a conversation with a random person. And you discover that you have similar ways of thinking or you could have proximity emotionally by accident, and then it leads to an automatic uh, familiarity on the DAS level, on the connection level on the inside. But what if you're in a long-term relationship? What if you wanna create closeness with your spouse over, you know, over many years? What if you wanna not constantly have you know, a, a decline in your closeness with someone that you love? What about with your children? If you have children, it's very hard to create closeness with children because you know, there's always a lot of confusion with children, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of you know, kids sometimes hate their parents. Parents very often are constantly telling kids what to do. So we're just gonna describe one important methodology here of how to you know, create closeness on purpose which is really just a, a, a corollary or an expression, an extension of what, we were, what we've already been saying, which is that if it's true that in order to create closeness, you have to find commonalities, things that are similar on these different levels between you and the other person, so then that's true that you, you can actually look for those on purpose. In other words, instead of just sort of letting them be discovered incidentally, when you meet someone, you're like, oh, look, we're similar in these ways, and then we build a friendship out of that, you have to actually delve and you can look into different parts of the other person that you're working with, that you're dealing with, in order to develop more familiarity. So with a child, that would actually look like you asking the child questions, but not probing questions that are like, tell me about this, how's your day at school, what's happening with that? That's not really seeking um, for similarities or, 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 or um, commonalities between you and the other person on the level of the character to create that closeness. That's more like, you're not looking to get to get close. You're just kind of trying to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's that's, that's a much more evaluating, um, you know, from above type of dynamic. Not really so much an attempt to see how you're similar to them. But what if you ask a child a question about him or herself in terms of what he, let's say, what he or she actually cares about, and that you also care about that thing and find a way that like you and them are actually now talking a shared language. So it's kind of like you know just asking like uh, like uh, asking a child like you know. Um, when you when you when you are outside and you're walking out, you know, with your friends, do you ever feel scared of like other people? Because like you know, sometimes I feel like when other people are around, there's so many of them, and I feel like it's a little overwhelming, or I find it hard to talk to people sometimes. And what you're doing then is you're you're trying to show the child there's something that you're, or you're trying to look in the child and see well where what do they have? And the child might be a child who feels insecure sometimes around other people, and so there's a, a space where they are either emotionally or thought-based, they actually think thoughts of like, I don't know I don't know if I'm capable or confident or competent to talk to other people. And if you have that inside of you, that's a common doorway that now you and the other self can actually fuse and bond. So you gotta look for those kinds of things. But if you're just kind of like, oh, like if you, you know, parents that, that advise kids in a certain kind of way, like, oh, just don't be scared of people. It's like, that doesn't create closeness for you or for them. Not only does it not make them feel close to you, you also won't be able to be close to them in that way. So parents have to look for the, look for their own um, areas of, of, of genuine interests and, and feelings and thoughts about a particular area. They also have to reduce their their uh, their perspective that this is not even really a person. This is this is my kid, and I'm supposed to know everything. And they and they you know they they need me to know things, and to sort of realize instead that actually what your kid really needs you to do is to open a doorway where he and you. 
uh, have something in common. And then once that doorway is open, then you can actually create closeness, and then your child will want to also learn from you. But parents usually skip that step. They don't bother trying to create that, to discover those common doorways between them to create genuine closeness. They sort of just tell the kid, here's what you should do. Solve the problem this way, do it like that. And then there's no bridging, there's no entanglement that takes place. And the kid just feels like, okay, my parent just doesn't get me. Like they just don't understand what it is that I'm going through. There's no closeness there. So now I don't have any interest in like sort of taking what they're saying because I don't know if they, what they're saying really is relevant to me because they don't have sense that, that, the me, that their me, their self, is part of that other self of the parent. And it's true also with spouses, to actually consistently ask and learn and seek out new aspects of the other person to get deeper inside of what it is that they feel, but from a place of exploration, of genuine interest, like there's more here, there's always more, and I can discover more about you through this process, and I want to find the ways that you and me line up to create greater closeness, that will make the love, the, the connection that you feel the other person, constantly expand and grow. So with those examples and those ideas, I just want to take it now just to sort of we'll wrap this video up with the Medrash that we started with, which is when the Medrash says that you have to, in order to actually get close to Hashem, you have to be like Hashem, you have a little bit of an idea of why that is. Because if you want to get close to somebody else, you have to find the commonalities between you and that other person. And if you don't have commonalities, then you're going to need to start figuring out how to develop them. Because, you know, there's, if you want to get close, you have to have that matching doorway where you and the other, cell, other person's character are sort of set up in tandem and in parallel to create those kinds of proximities that then lead to the closeness and the entanglement of, of real das, of real chibur. So that's the same, and what the Medrash is telling you is a secret about closeness. If you want to create dvekut, you have to have similarities. That's the beginning. You have, if Hashem is rachum, you have to be rachum. If Hashem is chanun, you have to be chanun. You have to be the same as Hashem, and you have to also be the same as the person that you want to get close to. And then, of course, the next question is, well, I understand how to do that with people, because I've been doing that all my life in better or worse ways, and now I'm starting to see how the mechanics of that work a little bit. How do I then take that, okay, so I have to be similar to Hashem, but what's the next path of that? Like, how do I actually get close to Hashem? You know, even if I am more similar to Hashem, it's different because, you know, I can't talk to Hashem and, just, and explore Hashem, but that I explore another person, it doesn't work that way. I can't ask Hashem questions about himself and then learn about Hashem the way I can learn about my spouse or about my child. So even if I am similar to Hashem and I build myself in a way that is similar, whatever that means, I have to explore that too. But if I can, then what do I do next? How do I actually ask Hashem those questions? How do I explore Hashem in those ways and create that closeness through that process that I could do with a person? I can't do that with Hashem. So in the next, in the next video, which is the last in this, in this little mini-series, we're going to answer those questions and explain how to do that, how you actually become like Hashem, why that even helps, and then how to actually ask Hashem questions about himself and explore Hashem in such a way that you actually experience genuine entangled closeness with Hashem, the way that you experience with another person around you. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope that was relatively clear. Looking forward to seeing you in the next video.